Welcome along to the Go Play Soccer podcast with host Manchester United Academy coach Tom Statham. At Go Play, our aim is to bring people together from all across the world to discuss the beautiful game. Welcome to the Go Play Soccer podcast. Tom Statham here, and today we are going to talk about player development and coach education with Martin Diggle from Liverpool FC. Martin holds a position of head of coach development at the reigning English Premier League champions. Remember, if you would like to make any comments or ask questions, please send an email to podcast at goplaysoccer.com. Martin and I will be joined by two Brits living and coaching in the United States. Johnny Burns is the son of Celtic legend Tommy Burns, and he's the technical director at the appropriately named Florida Celtic. And Chris Paniotu is the global grassroots technical director with the Rush Soccer Organization, and he's based in Virginia. So let's welcome Martin Diggle to the Go Play Soccer podcast. Afternoon, everyone. Tom, how are you? You well? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. I hope you're well. We've got lots to chat about, and we're going to kick off uh, by going to Florida. And Johnny Burns, uh, you've got an important question you'd like to ask Martin. Yeah. Martin, thanks for your time today, mate. appreciate it. No problem. Um, yeah, you know, in terms of just the first question I had for you, Martin, was, was more about your role just now that you hold. You know, I just want a little bit of information on what is a head of coach development um, and, and what does your day-to-day look like? Yeah, well, look, I mean, uh, Tom, first thing, I mean, obviously, thanks for the invite. And, uh, you know, hopefully it'll, be good. it'll just be good to t- talk with people and, I guess, share experiences about play development. I definitely don't want to come on here and, and suggest that I've kind of got all the answers, but I'll, I'll try and share, I guess, some of my experiences and, and give people a little bit of insight from my perspective. Um, in answer to that question, you know, at a simple level, I'm just one of many staff at a football club who are trying to help young people. Um, and I genuinely mean that. Um, I think we've got a, well, it's an exceptional football club, as everybody knows, and we've got, we've got a lot of very talented people. The specific part that I play in that at the club is... Um, Alex Inglethorpe, who's the academy director, asked me a little while ago, would I basically come in and continue the work that I'd done at the FA, but in a full-time capacity for, for Liverpool? So the, the aim of my job is to, to work with the coaches alongside other people, but my primary focus is to work with coaches to, to make the coaches better, to ultimately help the players become the best they can be. Um, I'm also in charge of coaching for 9 to 12s. So at Liverpool, we split it up. Uh, where Nick, Alex, Inglethorpe and um, Nick, Nick Marshall, Alex Inglethorpe and myself split up uh, 9 to 23s, in ch- who's in charge of the players. Um, so how much contact do you have with the players at 9 to 12? And are you coaching them or are you working exclusively with the coaches themselves? Yeah, it's a good question. So look, our, our ethos here is that everything starts and finishes with the players. You know, they are the most important thing. So ultimately, if you want to help the coaches, then you've got to understand that the players that they're working with, it, it, that, that is the most important thing. Um, so we do both, Tom. We'll work with the players specifically alongside coaches, but we'll also do work where we, we simply support coaches. So that might be by just creating opportunities for people to talk and discuss different things. Or, or it might be where you offer observations and feedback on a session, it might be sit down and plan a session, it might be deliver a session together. 
So there isn't like a, like a one a one size fits all approach. Which I guess is the best way of putting it. So within that nine to twelves that you you're involved with, do you have um, a set way of, of going about things? Is is it do, do coaches have freedom to to work within certain parameters, or is it is it quite tight and, and you know, everyone knows exactly what's required? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, and not an, not an easy one to. That's explain. two good questions. Yeah, you, you, well, you have loads of them, don't you? So. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I mean, the coaches can't come in and do what they want, so there isn't that much freedom. Um, we have some principles which we, you know, want the coaches to work from. So we want attacking, creative, skillful players. Um, but we also recognise that each child is unique. So how you will teach or work with player A may be subtly different to how you work with player B. And what we certainly don't believe is that you will get a manual that's going to tell you in week 22 that you're going to be coaching X to a group of 10 or 11-year-old boys. Um, what we do have is a framework of how we want our sessions to look and feel. Um, I know you'd obviously sent over some questions and, and I think some of that will come out um, during the course of the conversation. But what we would say is that our, our practices are heavily opposed and, and we believe that the game should be at the heart of the work that we do. So so would you say that the majority of the sessions that you're working with, especially the younger ages, are game-based rather than, than drill-based? Yeah, absolutely. You know, don't, don't get me wrong, we will do technical work with players. Um, and I guess to define a drill, you know, the way we would see that is potentially where something is unopposed or where there is a lot of complications to the practice. Um, we will try and avoid that, yeah. So it would be very simple activities uh, where the children have, you know, the fundamental opportunity to fall in love with the game, but also have the opportunity to learn the game rather than learning clever practices. And would you say, is that, is that initial program very technical based? Would you say the emphasis on technical development or you know, do you have elements of, of game situations, tactical, uh, physical attributes as well? Yeah, I mean, look, I, the, the term technical, I think is interesting because I think um, some people interpret technical work as stuff that is very unopposed. Um, but what we would say is that, look, technique would wrap up you being skillful, e.g. the ability to do that against somebody else. Do we, do we do a lot of team tactics with the kids? Absolutely not. Do we want the children to be adaptable and understand how to solve problems within the game? Absolutely, yes. So, you know, in some ways, the most complicated tactics are me against you. How do I beat you? How do I understand that you're going to cause me a different problem to another player? Um, so what we want to do is expose children to lots of different experiences, lots of different situations where they ultimately are able to apply techniques in skillful situations, but also where the problems are different. Sometimes you want the problem to be really difficult for the boy. Sometimes you want the experience to be one where they can have lots of success and be, you know, able to try, experiment, you know, explore new ideas, new, you know, new skills, etc. So um, keep the practice simple would definitely be, you know, a big principle from us. Brilliant. And uh, at this point, I'd like to bring Chris in because I know you've got something related to that. You'd like to ask Martin. Yeah. Thanks, Tom. Hey, Martin. Hope you're well. Um, yeah. I mean, nice to meet you. 
Yeah, nice to meet you. Martin, in your opinion, what are the key attributes for a coach working with these younger players at these age groups? Yeah, it's brilliant. Brilliant. I was, I was writing some things down because Tom had, you know, obviously I said, you know, give, give us some things to have a little think about. For me, and part of this is me and part of this is clearly the club, you need good people first. People with good values, good principles. Um, and that might seem really obvious, um, but the, there is a lot of ego in football. Um, and so for me, you've got to love working with children, you've got to love football, but you've got to love helping other people. Uh, and again, something that might seem really simple and obvious, but I think if you if you really want to work with young kids, you've got to you've got to give a huge amount of time, and you've got to be extremely selfless. You've got to be low ego, and it can't be about you as a coach. Um, so these these you know values got to love working with children, got to love football. Uh, you've got to have a low ego. You've got to be selfless. You've got to want to help others. Huge things. I think you've got to have a natural enthusiasm. You've got to see the good in kids. You've got to see what kids can achieve or what kids can become. Um, and I guess for me, you know, be a, a glass half full rather than being glass half empty in terms of, you know, what might be possible. I still believe that we can we can push the boundaries of what children are capable of. And I do believe that certainly in this country, we have exceptional talent in the younger age groups. And I think one of the things we can continue to look at is how we protect that. Um, how we protect the, the, the ability of the young players in this country. I think you've got to be able to build belief and confidence in young people, and I think you've got to inspire them. Um, and then I will come to, you've definitely got to know your subject, you've got to know football, and you've got to be able to engage young children and communicate in a, in a simple and effective way with language that children will understand, um, not the language that you maybe have uh, picked up on I guess some form of social media platform or listening to the you know the latest first team coach speak about the game, um, and 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 that and those things are becoming more commonplace in my opinion. So let me ask you, Martin, if you're looking to bring a coach in at, at Liverpool and they've got fantastic skills with the kids, they connect with the kids, the kids really get into the relationships they're building and, and all that sort of stuff. They've got great enthusiasm. They can inspire the kids, but their their knowledge of the game is maybe not, not exactly what you'd like. Um, would you look at that person and think, no, I'm sorry, that, that's not good enough. Or would you think we can work on that knowledge of the game? And, and would you prefer someone that way around than someone that has got great game knowledge, you know, maybe a former pro that's got, you know, Two, three hundred league appearances, let's say, but hasn't got a great deal of experience working with kids. How would you deal with each of those situations, and which would you value more? Yeah, I mean, look, if someone hasn't got the understanding of the game, but has got all of the qualities that you've just outlined and the things that we've outlined, you're not in a bad place. You're doing all right because <laughs> there isn't there isn't like a stack of those individuals around. They've also got to obviously fit with our culture, as you would know, Tom, at, you know, at your club. So that becomes really, really important. You know, you've got to, you've got to fit in, haven't you? You've got, to, you've got to be able to connect and work in this, you know, these environments. Um, but for sure, there's probably something I've missed off that. If someone hasn't got a knowledge of the game, but has got an appetite to want to learn to get better, is humble, you know, all of those things, then you've got a good chance. You can, you can build that. And the level of understanding of the game that you actually need to work with the very young players, I think 
sometimes there can be a danger when you've got too much of that because you maybe want to accelerate a process that doesn't need accelerating and you want to maybe coach in a more adult-based way. So um, sometimes, not using the right way, people with a lot of insight and knowledge who can't work with older players but maybe would want to, they then can start applying that to young kids, which is counterproductive. But that doesn't mean, Tom, that you can't be an ex-player with 300 games who couldn't also be brilliant. And I want to make that point clear. You know, it's you've got to take each person on their merits. But um, you've got to be good people and you've got to love kids and you've got to want to help them more than you want to help yourself, for sure. And then, you know, with, with the, especially with the younger kids, you know, I'm, I'm very much a believer in, you know, you've got to make it a fantastic experience for them. You've got to almost entertain them and make them feel relaxed and, and give them that, that joy um, and pleasure from football, nurturing the love of the game. As they get older, um, then do you, how, how important do you think that is? Do you think that's something that drops off a little bit as the kids get to their teen years and, and then a scholarship? Or is that still a vital quality that, that you look to, to nurture within the, the kids at Liverpool? Got to love the game, haven't you? You know, it's got to be one of our, it's got to be one of the most important things. You've got to protect people's love of the game. The, you know, the journey to becoming a top footballer, as you know, is going to be difficult. There's going to be ups and downs and your love of the game is going to be one of the things that's going to kind of see you through that, you know. And so, you know, I think that, I think within football, I think for some time now, certainly in this country, there's probably been talk about making it more fun and enjoyable for younger players. But I, I think we all want something that's enjoyable. And I think that doesn't matter whether you're, you're five years of age or 55 years of age. Um, so, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. I think Jack, uh, I think Chris has got another point to make here as well. Chris, I'll bring you in and, and make your your point. My point or my question, Just, Tom? Sorry, either, Chris. Either, Chris, your point, your question, whatever you like to say. No, Martin looked like he was going to say something else, so I'll let him go first. Tom, just, just going back to your point, I actually think it's more difficult as the players get older. And I think coaches have got to work even harder at it. Because I think young children are relatively fearless. But actually, as kids get older, they become more aware of consequence. Um, they're much more aware of their surroundings. The 11 aside game brings with it a range of different, you know, experiences and I guess uh, interpretations from adults. So I think in, in many ways, you've actually got to work much harder at it. Um, and maybe actually with the real youngest ones, it's, it's actually quite natural. Yeah, I'd, I'd see that as well because you know, when, when we see games, a games programme and, and as you know, I'm working with the younger kids and that's where I often see you as well. But then you might walk past an older age group game and it just seems that it's very serious and there, there aren't many smiles there. And I, I always think surely that's, I agree with you, surely it's even more important because you get into a time maybe 14, 15, 16, they're getting towards a scholarship then it's even more important that the coaches are trying to take the pressure away, trying to make it enjoyable and, and lighthearted because that's that's how you get the best out of people if they're relaxed and enjoying it. Yeah, look, the, the, the environment itself will create natural stress or it will it'll bring like um, all those things to bear. The gift of the coach then is how do you work within that environment and how do you help the children, to your point, to feel comfortable and able to continue to express themselves. Um, I think one of the things in this country, uh, and this is a personal opinion to be clear, 
is there's also a huge number of adults that surround these young kids once you get into the 11 side game and that brings benefits but it also brings challenges because everybody wants to feel like they're helping and actually that can be also be counterproductive because you know all these people surrounding the young players will just naturally create uh, I, I believe in a lot of kids uncertainty and a lot of questions um, so you know we have to think carefully about that Good Chris you ready? Yeah I'm, I'm, I'm ready just um, just to throw in there Martin you didn't mention it but empathy and patience obviously are important right um, as, as that characteristic of a coach but then also being able to see uh, through a kid's lens right knowing who's in front of us which you said Right. Um, but Martin, the question I'd like to ask is if you could go back in time, what advice would you give to young Martin as a coach starting his journey, 17, 18, 20 years old? You know, what, what are the things you look back on and you go, man, I wish I'd have done that differently? Or, Well, certainly, I certainly would have uh, tried to appreciate it from a player's perspective and, look, and see it through uh, kids' eyes for sure. I think that's a, that's a great it's a great point. Um, to put the game more at the heart of my work would be my number one. Um, again, in England, we've, and it is a bit of a generalisation, it depends on where you've, you know, I guess you've coached and worked. But, but coaching in England worked where you started with a technical practice, you then built up to a skill-based practice and then you went through into a game. That was the conventional way of working. And one of the things that uh, I certainly got caught up on is we're not moving on to the next thing until we've got the first thing right. And one of the things was that you were, I guess, in many ways, trying to achieve everything within the space of one night. Um, so your point about empathy, uh, empathy, your point about patience, 100%. This is a long-term process. It's not about what the kid is going to achieve by the end of tonight, next week, two months' time. This is about a long-term journey. Learning is about, we'll have ups and downs. It's not straightforward. It's not linear, using a bit of a fancy term. Um, and yeah, time is massive, isn't it? So putting the game at the heart of it, not trying to cram everything into one evening. Um, you know, it's obviously a long-term uh, process. Stand, stand back and observe more. Talk less. And when you do talk, because you've observed better, I think that you will have um, you will you will see better, and therefore what you say will be more meaningful and more impactful. Um, each kid is unique, so be careful if you've got a lovely manual about how you want to work and that you want to apply that to all players. When the reality is that the the 15, 20, whatever number of uh, you know young boys or girls that are stood in front of you, they are all different. So look to understand them first would be a really, really important principle of mine. Um, so Martin, let, let's just say we've all got the privilege of coming down to Liverpool and, and seeing the, the Martin Diggle session. It's definitely not going to be warm-up skills and then a game to finish with. But what, what would it look like? What would... Now, what would the Martin Diggle um, coaching session look like? Yeah, look, it, we have a framework here for our real youngest players. And you, and you, you asked me the question before, Tom, about, um, 
you know, to the freedom of the coaches and like the structure. So one of the things we have a structure within our sessions. So with the youngest kids, with the youngest kids, we tend to start with a game. So the kids arrive, they arrive at different times. And one of the ways of allowing children to, I guess, be excited about getting here is to start with a game. That's always quite helpful. Actually, the pandemic has really helped us because whereas kids maybe would have gone in changing rooms before now, we've just stopped that whole process and the kids just go out on the grass. Obviously, that's for safety reasons. And unless the weather's horrendous, it's just proven to be just beneficial. We will allow that time to be quite playful prior to the session starting um, and where the kids can choose to do stuff on their own. Um, but then as the session gets going with our very youngest players, we tend to start with a game. We tend to finish with a game um, and we will then do, you know, skill work in the middle of that. So with the game, the game as the kids arrive, the game at the beginning, would that be like a, a five-a-side or would it be conditioned games or is, is it varied, you know, how would that look? In, in principle, just keep the game the game. You know, we're not saying that, the, you know, the coaches may not do slight variations of games. But actually, the question I always ask when I do coach development is, if you're going to add rules to a game, or you're going to add rules to a practice, or you're going to do something different to the game in its purest form, you must be doing it because it adds greater value than playing the game itself. And if it doesn't add greater value than playing the game itself, my question is always, well, why are you doing it? Yeah, that's, I, mean, I was having this chat the other night uh, with someone I was working with and I'm just saying, you've got to make sure that if you're doing some, whatever you do, I don't mind why you do it as long as you've got a reason for it. So the worst thing, the worst thing to do is just keep doing something because we've always done it or because I saw it in a magazine or there's lots of reasons where people do things in coaching sessions to impress because they think it looks good so impress their boss or parents are watching so they think that they look good in that way and these are these are not good reasons in my opinion I'm sure you'll agree and it's got to be you know, why are you doing this and if you can come up with that reason then great go for it yeah look Tom absolutely I work, I work for the FA for you know a considerable period and one of the things that we were absolutely huge on was that you know, when you work with coaches, people will see things in different ways and there's nothing wrong with that. That's like, that's actually the brilliance of the game. But you need to know why you're doing stuff. Absolutely. Um, there is, again, there is a danger, isn't there? Because there's just so much information at our fingertips now through social media and there's so many different practices that you can get hold of that we can say, oh, well, you know, that's going to make the world better for these young people. Well, you need to understand why you're doing that and maybe, maybe it isn't. Um, maybe the brilliance of the game is that you can actually free yourself to to stand back and watch these kids rather than managing practices. Um, and by doing that, you'll be more impactful for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I'm really big on on creating excitement and creating enjoyment for kids and, and using football to do that. So I want to go back even further than when you were a young coach. I want to go back to your childhood, Martin, and and what what sort of memories do you have? of your childhood in football and, and have you got any specific memories where you really start to fall in love with it, with football and you know what drove you on to want to have a career in football? Um, what did football look like? Well, I think you were pretty free. I don't think there was a lot of structure. You know, we, you played, didn't you, before school, at school, after school, you Went the part with your mates, you played out on the street, you know, 
you did all those things. You didn't really train a lot. You didn't really train a lot. I was speaking to Steve McManaman about it this morning, actually. And, you know, we didn't, you didn't train a lot. You played a lot. You just, you played a lot of football. So you played for your school, you played for your junior club, you played for your, your town, your county. Um, obviously, you played for professional clubs as you got a bit older. But I think you just fell in love with the game because you played the game a lot. So in your role now, how don't you think there's a responsibility then to try and recreate that for the youngsters because they're not getting those games? So they're not now, you sign for an academy, um, you know, you can play for your school, but you've got to get permission from the academy and so on. But whereas you're right, you used to play for your town team, for your district team, for your school team. For the, I used to play for the Cubs. I used to play for a couple of club teams. Um, so you're not getting as, as much game time. So how do you, how do you look to compensate for that? Tom, Tom, you know me well. I think our whole system. This is not Liverpool. This is this is my opinion. Um, and it was something that was being discussed while I was at the FA. Is I think that in England we have to maybe recalibrate a bit because a lot of the great players grew up playing a lot and training very little as they were as they were children. And we chose to flip the pendulum to the other extreme, to train a lot and probably play a little. So what I mean by that is that we've still got children in this country that will travel for four or five hours to probably get 40 minutes of a game of football. It's got an awful lot better. It is There is clearly people who are applying brilliant practice and giving the players a lot of time to, to play the game. But I still think that we... We as a country can look at the balance between training and games. Um, the things to be able to play with grassroots, Tom, to your point, it's difficult because it requires a lot of uh, policy change across all the organisations. But I personally believe it's something that would be a valuable uh, use of time. Because children, children being away from these environments can also be extremely important for their social development Beyond beyond what you get on the football pitch, and we all know that very few foot, very few lads, although more more will obviously come through at clubs like this, will go on and play f- professional football. We've got a massive moral, moral and ethical obligation to be able to develop the de- develop children. You know, we've got a huge responsibility in the part we play in children's lives. So for me, um, I, I think that effort is well worth it. And that sort of links in nicely to, to Johnny coming back with, with another point. Johnny, what would you like to, to add on this? Yeah, man, I mean, I suppose my next question for you would be in two parts. Um, and it's first of all, I mean, do you think there's a danger of over-professionalism in, in the youth sport for, for boys and girls? And if you do think so, what are the dangers of that? Um. Yeah, there is a danger because they're in they're in they're in a professional environment, aren't they? So so it very naturally brings that to the to the surface. I think you know we try and protect that the best we can. Uh, we we try and we try and ensure that a lot of the kind of I guess more professional based principles are filtered down appropriately. Uh, but the fact that the, the boys come to this environment means that you know it, it is very serious. Um, 
what are the things that it can affect? Well, I think the obvious things is it can reduce enjoyment and love of the game. I think you can be introduced to an adult game too quickly. There can be a focus more on the team and the way the team functions, on tactics. And whilst tactics can be important in player development, you know, they are important. Ultimately, you know, technical excellence, the ability to be skillful will be absolutely of paramount to any system or any style of football that any first team manager chooses to play. So if you don't have those qualities uh, later down the track, you know, as much as you may have played in a successful team as you grew up, um, you will fall short, you know, at the final hurdle, the place where it matters most. Um, I think professionalism can bring too much uh, structure. It, it can reduce freedom for the players and a space to be creative. Um, as I've said, I mean, you know, my view is the game has a, ne- a natural set of boundaries. You know, it's got two goals. It, you know, it's got width and depth. It's got an offside line. It's got penalty boxes, etc. So ultimately, if you train a lot more than you play and what you do in training does not resemble the game, then you are naturally restricting the capabilities for children to be free, explore the natural problems of the game and have space to be creative. So this is what I mean about professionalism is professionalism may, may be nothing more than the fact that you just train a lot more. You know, I'm sure a lot of people would see way beyond that, like GPS units, you know, uh, performance analysis support. But actually, if you just go back to basics and you look at the fact that the kids train so much more than they play now, that in itself is prof- is more professionalised compared to what some of the greats of yesteryear grew up in. Now, there's benefits to that, but there's also some, there's some watch outs. Um, I think my, my final thing on this one is that if you over-professionalise things and you put too, much, too many adults in the space of young children, you can take away some of the skills that you ultimately want children to develop, like being adaptable, like being independent, like having leadership qualities. You know, so we often look at it and think, well, you know, we're doing more for the kids, so therefore it's going to be better. It can be very much counter, counterintuitive. You know, actually sometimes doing less is actually doing more because of the space that you give children to kind of learn and develop. Yeah, I was going to mention that because earlier you mentioned about the number of adults that are around the kids at the moment and and parents are very important. And when a, when a parent is, is deciding where their eight-year-old is going to go, um, you know, to do their academy football because the best kids in the Northwest have usually got a choice of some pretty big clubs. Um, it, how how difficult is it to, to almost stop that over-professionalisation because that attracts a lot of parents. The more professional it is, the more structured it is, the more adult it, the, the football that they're getting, they think this is what is required. So how is that a, a difficult thing to deal with? Yeah, it is. But we, you know, what, what I do believe, we believe, Tom, is that every child is the most important thing in a parent's life. They want the best experience for their child and people have an interpretation of what's going to be best for them. And often that interpretation is based around the experiences that they've had and the information that they've got at their disposal. So sometimes when you just see the children playing on the face of it, people can think, well, they're not being coached. They're not doing anything for my kid. Well, one of my beliefs is you've got to work with parents. You've got to help them understand the sophistication in in the way that you work and the thinking that underpins your ethos and your philosophy. Because otherwise, you will always be at the mercy of interpretation. So you have to help people put on a different set of glasses 
or see the world in a, in a way that is um, informed by, I think, um, a lot of thought, resource, care, and very, very deliberate intention. So it is difficult, but I think you've got to stick to what you believe, but you've got to try and take parents on the journey with you because ultimately parents will decide on what they want their child to do or not do. And would you have meetings and uh, to try and you know inform and educate the parents uh, what you're doing at Liverpool? You've got to have meetings and you've got to make people you've got to make people feel valued. You've got you've got to this is a people game, so it's like when you go back to working with the players, it's no different when working with the parents. This is their child, it's the most important thing in their life. That they've got to they've got to feel like um, you know, they're they're giving up their child to to you as an organization. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Chris, any any follow-up points? Yeah, I did I, I was just thinking there with the with the parents. Obviously, we're in America, so it's a little bit different for us. We don't have the the Liverpool badge or Tom's Club's badge. Um, you know, and again, we don't have the we don't have the um parents who have played like many people in England and watch it daily in the news and this and that. We do have some, but what does that look like and how do you get them to buy in? What do you do if you have that problem parent, the kid's loving it and it's the kid's experience, but the parent is like, no, I, you know, I think I need something different or how do you go around that? And obviously, you know, you, you may not get that often being the big clubs that you are, but what, what advice would you, you give to coaches who are approaching parents on how to say, hey, this is our ethos, this is our philosophy, this is why we're doing what we're doing? Um, I, do think it, I do think it helps enormously if the children love coming because I do think most parents will be influenced by how the children feel. So if the, ch- if the children feel like they're excited, they love going, they can't wait to run through the gates, most parents will see that and go, okay, my, my child is in, a, is in a nice place here, he's in a good place, or she's in a good place. So I do think that's enormous. I think it gives you something to talk to and from with parents. But I also think that whether you are working with parents, whether you are working with players, or whether you are working with coaches, one of the things that I don't believe we are as good at as we could be is you, you said about seeing it through the child's eyes. We've got, to put our, we've got to put ourselves in the parents' shoes and we've got to try and see it from their perspective first. And I, and I think this is quite a strange, potentially a strange way of looking at things. So in coaching terms, very often it was the coach would tell the players what they want and there probably wasn't enough appreciation of understanding from a kid's perspective. I think we've got better at that. I think we can continue to get better at it. And I think you need good people to check and challenge the way that you do your business and the way that you see the world. In coach education, it was the same. We as the coach educators will tell you as coaches, this is what you should do. And ultimately people rile up against that for me because we're all the kind of guardians of our own kind of free speech and and we can decide and choose to do what we want to do. So I'm a massive believer in trying to understand it from someone's point of view. For me, it's no different when you work with, um, with parents. You've got to give people time. You've got to make sure that they feel valued, that they're genuinely being listened to. And especially with people who are a little bit more, shall we say, um, 
very sure about what they want because they're more difficult to um, take on a journey. Marty, that's great. And this, you, you've been given a great insight into, into your beliefs and, and to the way things work at, in the academy at Liverpool. Um, I know, you know from your time at the FA, you've had the opportunity to work with and see lots of great coaches work. And obviously at Liverpool, there are some fantastic figures there now. So who would you say you know, are, you, are your coaching mentors? You know, are there, are there individuals that you'd identify and say that person had a massive effect on, on me as a coach and, and who I am today? Uh, I was thinking about this one, Tom, and I didn't really want to list names too much because I think you have, I think you have, you you meet you meet a lot of people. I've got a lot of people who've helped me, but there's one person especially who, this guy called Jack Trainer. He um, he put me through my level two, and uh, he ultimately was the person who uh, gave me an opportunity in the professional game in England. Um, he was the first person I rang when I passed my A licence. Um, and I think it's no different that when you work with children, what he did for me was he built belief in me. And I'll, ne- I'll never be like, you know, thankful enough for that. Um, and I think that's the same thing now where, you know, when you look at people, you know, young coaches, you, you've got to build belief in them. You've got to inspire them. You've got to, You've got to help them understand that there, there is like this, this huge opportunities if you want to devote yourself to working with young people. So he, he would be a, a specific name, but there's been lots, Tom. I think that my biggest reflection and the one that I continue to try and, try and I guess, live is the reason why I think I've been influenced by quite a few people is I try and get myself in the room. I try and seek out people who have got experience in football and I try and listen and glean from those people as, as much stuff as I possibly can. Um, I do go on the internet, but if I'm being honest, your point before about understanding why you do stuff, I don't think you can get enough of that off, off the internet. And I think that's why if, if you can ever be in the company of experienced people, really making the most of that and not being too apologetic for trying to un- unpack their thinking, um, would be certainly very, very important for me. Yeah, I think that's something that, that young coaches, maybe this generation, because I'm a 20th century guy, I don't, you know, I'm, I, I would rather talk to people rather than go on the internet and that, that sort of thing. So I would really encourage young coaches to seek out people, seek out mentors. I think, and, and, and they'll help you. I think that's one of the things, if you're looking as a young coach to get into football or any sport, is that don't be afraid to approach people. Don't be afraid to ask if you can watch or ask questions because generally people will want to help you. And, and that that shows a dedication and an enthusiasm. And then old guys like me that have, have been around a while, then, you know, that, that's great. It keeps us fresh. Tom, you absolutely. And, you know, I use the term get yourself in the room. The other one is get feedback. Just get people's opinions on the way that you work. It's in your gift to choose how you want to use that feedback. You don't have to act on it. But the point is, if you don't get that feedback, if you don't, if you don't unpack the brains of different people, then you'll never know. You'll never know. And as much as it is young coaches, again, like one, one of the things I massively believe in is that you can people can become very confident very quickly. And that can be a real danger. It can be a real blind spot. You know, people can feel like they've got a philosophy far, far too young. 
you know, a, a view of the world and ethos. And you're like, well, maybe, maybe you, but you might want to live a few more years and you might want to surround yourself with a few more people. And you might want to ask a few more opinions before you become so set on, um, you know, what you think is right, wrong or indifferent. I also think that we should not disrespect experience in the past. You know, innovation or new new methods of working is great, but actually some of the most innovative or, you know, the best things that we do actually might be not what we put in, might not be what we put in, but might be what we leave out because we respect the brilliance of what used to exist. Um, yeah. That's great. And, you know, I'd say that I really encourage older, older coaches, more experienced coaches to seek to help out the younger generation and vice versa. And if you're a young coach, please don't be shy, you know, go to people, ask questions and, and show that you want to learn and, and you want to progress as a coach. And Tom, like you said again, is that I, th I think, you know, people are busy, but the one thing that I certainly would do, or, you know, people I know who are classes experienced that, I think people who show a commitment to help and want to get better, people will try and help them. Definitely. And Johnny, any uh, any final points? Because we're going to wrap up pretty soon. Oh, guys, thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and obviously, um, you know, Martin, just kind of picking up a few points from, from yourself there. And, you know, one of the kind of big things um, in European football, Martin, there's a club... Um, I think it was I think it was Bayern maybe, um, who recently completely absolved their full academy age groups, um, and and basically kind of their their statement was they want kids to play local and I was just wondering what your your thoughts were on that because we spoke about the kind of over professionalism and obviously your kind of role is is coach development, um. You know, I'm presuming that the behaviours of those coaches that would come under your purview. What do you think about kind of Bayern's move to do that? Because it was quite, um, I mean, you speak about innovative, that's kind of almost completely unheard of. Look, I said my, my personal view is I think that um, there's things of the past that we've maybe under, uh, we've, we maybe haven't appreciated the brilliance of. So I can see why allowing children to go and be children and play in um, relaxed, unprofessional environments could be of some value. What I believe for us specifically in this country is that academy football is here to stay. What I think is we've got a responsibility to constantly step back and say, what is really going on here? And what are the things that matter most in terms of progressing young people. So do I believe that um, it's worth getting on the table and discussing um, the opportunities for kids to be able to go and play grassroots football as well as play in academies? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I think it would need very careful thought because of the way things operate in this country. Um, and it would require a lot of joined up thinking. Um, but that that for me would supersede any any clever practice that, that we might be able to put on for any young player. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but... Uh, I think you've answered, you've answered so many questions today, Martin. Really appreciate your time. 
and and also to Chris in Virginia and Johnny in Florida. You know, there's there's so much there, so much information for for coaches of different ages, different age groups, and so on. So. Thanks so much to, to everyone, Martin, Johnny, Chris. Thanks for, for such an enjoyable uh, 45 minutes or so. And just again, if you're listening, if you'd like to make any comments, you'd like to ask any questions, or if you'd like to put your name forward to appear on a future podcast, please send us an email to podcast at goplaysoccer.com. Thanks, gents, and uh, we'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening. And if you have a question or comment for us, or if you'd like to take part in one of our podcasts, please email podcast at goplaysoccer.com.